Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru, the podcast for discerning seekers, where we have all of the community and none of the cult. I'm your host, Laura Tucker. If you're a fan of the show and want to join the conversation, you can subscribe to the Free Your Inner Guru Patreon page. Your subscription includes access to our discourse community, live monthly Zooms, and some pretty cool merchandise. Your Patreon subscription helps keep the show going free of ads and supports me as an independent researcher and creator, for which I am very grateful. I'd love it if you would take a moment to go to patreon.com forward slash free your inner guru and subscribe to support the show. Welcome to episode 94 of Free Your Inner Guru, the podcast that I'm starting to call the little podcast that could. There's a big international audience, so I won't assume that you're familiar with the expression or where it's coming from. It originates from a children's story, The Little Engine That Could. It's the story of a little train that comes to the rescue after a long train breaks down in the middle of a mountain pass and the great big long heavy train needs to be pulled up over a high mountaintop and it needs to be rescued. Lots of larger trains turn the job down, thinking that it's going to be way too much work. And then a very little train, the little engine, comes along, takes the job, and gets the job done with tremendous effort. And it really struggles. And and one of the things that it does is it says over and over again to itself, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. That belief in what it was doing helps to inspire the little engine to become the little engine that could. It could bring the great big train up and over the mountaintop. So this story is used to teach children the value of optimism and hard work. And as an adult with experience in the business world and from personal experience, I see it as a story that's as much about the value of effort and optimism It's also about building momentum, the initial effort that any worthwhile project or endeavor requires before it builds momentum. All that to say, I'm grateful that you're here, longtime listeners and new listeners. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your reviews. Thank you to everyone who's supporting the podcast through Patreon and continuing the conversation in our discourse community. It's needed and it's appreciated. And thanks maybe even more so for resonating with my story and the work that I'm doing here. It feels like Free Your Inner Guru is really embracing its roots and, you know, the force behind Free Your Inner Guru is me. Unlike four years ago when I started this podcast, the feeling is different. Your response is different. You're engaging with the content, you're engaging with me, you're engaging with the guests, and you're engaging with the ideas my intention is to provide something of value that people want to engage with, that people care about. And so I love that it appears that momentum is coming. And thank you for resonating with my story and the work that I'm doing here. The notes after the last episode um, on social media, uh, direct messages, messages through the website have really touched me in a in a positive way and it's very encouraging and inspiring and, and it says keep going kind of like that little engine that could so i'm keeping going and uh if you're up for it 
I could use the support, particularly on Patreon. My intention with the Patreon community has two sides to it. One is what it brings for you as an enhanced experience. Earlier in the year, I created a discourse community and discourse is a platform that's like social media, but it's better organized and it doesn't have any of the ads or nobody owns the data and is using it to market back. And just so that we're very clear, I'm not even using it to market back. There is no funnel here. The value is the podcast. The community on discourse is an extension of the podcast, and that's the extent of it. I really see a place for this podcast in the discussion around the cultic aspects of self-help and all of the other industries that stem off of that. That's where my focus is. And when I can receive some financial support for the podcast, like I really don't want to do commercials, even though it may sound like I'm doing one right now, but that's just extra effort and energy away from the topics that we all care about. So that's why I've chosen the creator model of Patreon and the extension of the community gives you a place to go to be able to really dig deep. And let me tell you, the conversation in there these past couple of weeks has been amazing. People are sharing their stories. We're learning, we're unlearning, we're following other podcasts in this genre and discussing them. Um, it really is going to morph and evolve into whatever the membership wants it to be. I'm there as the facilitator, but everything else is member driven. And that's the whole point because everything we need is inside of us and nobody needs me telling you what to think or learn or do. So now let's talk about this week's guests. So today's guest is another two guest episode. Their names are Jenny Cornbleed and Mark Futterman. They have had both together and apart personal experience surviving spiritual and therapeutic abuse. And that experience led them to study cult dynamics and undue influence with a number of experts in the field. In the process of studying with these experts, they recognize that cult dynamics run rampant in our society and are particularly prevalent in the self-help and coaching industries. So as a result, Jenny and Mark now bring an anti-cult approach to all their work with a knowledge that breaking free from undue influence is key to living authentically and doing what matters most. Jenny and Mark are instructional designers, coaches, and consultants. They help people discover what they most want to express through life and work, live according to their values, and make their projects as impactful as possible. I'm very grateful to have crossed paths with them as I have been doing my own exploration of cult dynamics. So with no further introduction, here's a big conversation about cult dynamics in a therapeutic and healing situation, as well as in the coaching industry. Jenny and Mark, welcome to Free Your Inner Guru. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. So let's bring everyone into the conversation with a little bit of your backstory. You've had your own individual experience of high demand groups, and then you've been in at least one together. People wonder how we can get pulled into something like that. 
And I feel from listening to other people's stories and sharing my own that it's really important to develop that part of the story before we get into the meat. Yeah, I think the main thing that got us really interested in learning about cultic dynamics is the fact that we have both had experience with more than one cultic situation and, and have been survivors of it and and really were able to get out of that together. And we have our individual stories in the together one. And starting with the one together, the two of us spent years working with a controlling counselor slash healer who inflicted spiritual and therapy and psychological abuse. And I met him when I was very young. I was 21, worked with him for many years, and then introduced him to Mark later when we met 12 years ago. And this person had no scope of practice. Uh, he was our yoga teacher, massage therapist, financial advisor, uh, healer, everything, working with inserting himself into all areas of our lives. He exploited us for a lot of free work and really manipulated us into thinking that our lives would just completely fall apart if we stopped working with him. Experiencing that in the context of a therapeutic relationship where you get you know, so vulnerable and then having your trust betrayed that way was really excruciating. It was definitely uh, the most painful experience of my life. And it was also excruciating leaving. It was a really difficult process leaving. Mark left a little bit first and with his support, I also left. But we both had a sense of, of being really lost and unhealed after leaving that situation. Around the same time that we were leaving that situation, we got involved in a business coaching community. And on the surface of it, this community looked completely different than what we, we had originally experienced with the therapist because the coach leading it was very friendly and warm and confident and just praising us so much. Initially, it was also a group. So there was a feeling of having instant you know, friends and camaraderie. And, so it, and also it was really about success and, and building you up. So it looked like a positive thing initially. But unfortunately, once we were in it for a while, this community turned out to be a really high control group that used tactics that broke you down and demanded ever-increasing financial commitments, demanded the recruitment of other people and your time, and, and really like an unquestioning compliance with what the leader thought you should uh, believe and how you should behave. And the impotence for getting out of that, finally getting out of that for both of us, was a leadership training that there was a lot of pressure uh, for everyone to attend. The, the coach insisted everyone attend this. And I decided to take it. Mark didn't, but I decided to do it because there was so much pressure to attend, even though I really didn't know what was going to be in it because there was a lot of secrecy around what actually went on in the training. But I decided to do it. And unfortunately, I had stepped into something called a large group awareness training un unknowingly. And this training involved all different kinds of uh, feedback exercises, I'm putting feedback in quotes, where you would be in groups or pairs and people, both participants and the leaders would yell at you, everything that was wrong with you, break you down. People would end up like in a puddle of tears after these exercises. There was a lot of guided hypnosis, guided meditation kinds of activities. There were pressured confessions from people about their deepest secrets. There was constant activity. The schedule was from like 7 a.m. you know, to midnight plus homework, very limited food breaks, and you were really worn down. And then in that state, you were indoctrinated with a whole new language and with goals of how the leaders thought that you should be. And so that experience really 
led me to have a near breakdown because it was really traumatic in and of itself, but it also re-triggered years of all the abuse that I had endured. All the coercive control, it just all came rushing back to that highly traumatic experience. And fortunately, I was able to, we were both able to leave soon, pretty soon after that, not right away, but pretty soon. It was really agonizing beginning to process all of that and heal from it. But that was the impetus for us to begin to learn, this was several years ago, everything that we could about cults and undue influence. So Jenny, while you've <laughs> been speaking, I've been noting down a checklist of the things that you experienced that I experienced. And first of all, I want to tell you how sorry that I am that you had that experience and also ask, are you comfortable or Mark chime in any time? Are you comfortable sharing what some of these tactics looked like, sounded like, felt like. Because the deeper I go into this exploration with different survivors, with different experts, I'm finding that it's more relatable and understandable if the goal is to help people spot it, if and when it's happening to them, to hear some examples. Absolutely. I have the list. Secrecy, large group awareness training the group hypnosis, the pressure. So let's start with some of those if you can, and then maybe a little bit about what you learned about, about each tactic. And, I, and for the listener, sure. what I hope, especially if, especially if the listener has been around large group trainings, that you really listen, because I don't know about you guys, but the first time somebody approached me with these ideas, I was resistant to accepting that they were happening to me. And, and I think us, like a lot of other people want to think, no, like that did not happen to me. So yeah, that was a lot, but I just, I want to bring that to the conversation and set the table, so to speak for you. Where would you like to, where would you like to begin? I would love to say that I just want to thank you for bringing that up, that it's so helpful for people to be armed with the knowledge of what large group awareness trainings are and what the tactics are to look out for. My story obviously overlaps with Jenny's quite a bit. And I had some cultic experiences earlier in my life, starting in my early 20s. And the first one was very much modeled after a large group awareness training. And I didn't know anything about what that meant at all. And like you just said, my initial reaction as a young person looking for help and support was I didn't like some of how I felt around some of the leaders and some of the tactics that they used felt invasive and inappropriate, but I didn't really have enough life experience even to trust those feelings. And the people who were doing this were older than me. They seemed to be very knowledgeable. And I overrode my own intuition and my own feelings and got immersed in this and came out somewhat damaged, but still didn't know what I had been through or understand it. And back in those days, there was far less being spoken about cults and about these kind of tactics. And so one of the experiences I've had is that I've had several cultic experiences or this experience, like Jenny mentioned, with this abusive healer counselor. And because I didn't know what to look for, each subsequent thing seemed to present itself 
as a remedy for the last thing. And it wasn't until I learned these tactics and what to look out for that I was able to actually stop the cycle. So I think it is so important to be able to name these things and especially to help people who are maybe in something that they're having a feeling might not be good or might not yet have had that experience and it could be helpful for them to avoid it in the first place. What would you say one of the most memorable wake-up calls was? What was a big one for you? In the very first group I was in, they wanted us to bring new people into the group, what we call recruiting, although we didn't use that word. It was just spreading this message of how helpful this particular approach to healing was. And I had failed, in quotes, to bring a couple people to a seminar that was coming up. And I found myself standing there with one of the leaders and she was looking at me with anger and disgust because I had not brought two people to this event. And she looked at me and she said, Mark, you just don't think you have power over anybody, do you? And I had never heard her use the phrase, literally have power over someone else. I had never heard those words. It had always been presented like helping people and, and showing people what really works, these kind of things. But she used that phrase, have power over people. And in that moment, I realized I don't want to have power over other people. And that was one of the things that got me out of that group and started my journey of looking at this stuff. It almost seems like a little bit of a glimpse behind the curtain, right? If that wasn't the, the vernacular that was being used from the stage in a frustrated moment, it's a whole different language. Exactly. I'm looking forward to the next Matrix movie coming out. So the <laughs> Matrix, like the glitch in the Matrix. <laughs> That's what this felt like. It's, it was it's, really, it's yeah, of, huh? yeah. That, what? What was that? That's exactly how this felt. It's like a mask had been dropped just for a moment and I got a glimpse of something. Yeah. Yeah. And that doesn't always happen. Jenny, what's an example of that for you? Something that stood out or caught your attention? One thing I want to say before I answer that is that one thing that can be tricky is with a lot of these controlling groups and relationships, you can't really trust what they say. That was an instance that Mark brought up of a kind of accidental behind the curtain, but often you can't trust what they say because um, these leaders or groups will use words to disguise what they're up to and often call it the opposite of what it is. So for example, in the business coaching group that we were in, we had some sales training as a part of that. And it was always positioned as, here's how you can do sales without being manipulative. Here's how you can do it in a non-pushy way, in a heart-centered way, because nobody wants to be pushy or manipulative. But literally, the methods that were being taught were all about how to manipulate people into buying. But by call, for example, get their credit card while they're on the phone, have an urgency bonus if they sign up right away. Here's how to convince a resistant spouse so that you should, there are all these kinds of techniques being taught that were highly manipulative, but by calling it non-manipulative and heart-centered, you just call it the opposite of what it is. So that's one thing you could say is, is a red flag to look out for is looking not at what they say, but what they do, because often you'll see a, a lot of times a cult, for example, one of the first, I'd say a red flag is the, one of the first things they'll tell you is how they're not, well, we're not a cult because cults 
are hard to leave or whatever. You'll just have some things about cults that are more what the traditional perceptions are. Or we're not like other multi-level marketing companies. We're different. So if they're preemptively preempting that criticism, I would say that is a red flag. One of the main things that I noticed, and you have too, Mark, is there's a way in which the leader will put themselves above you, but it's confusing because at the same time, they'll seem to deeply understand you. And they really set themselves up as the authority. And one thing, this is related to this, is one thing I've noticed a lot of these charismatic leaders uh, say is, I'm not here to make you feel comfortable. I'm curious, if you, have you heard that, Laura, ever? Like, I'm here to, well, I'm not yeah, here I to tell you what you want to hear. Yeah. And I almost think that's almost made it into the vernacular of the entire yes. industry along with the need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, which even if I think back to when I was earlier into my coaching practice and my now defunct coaching practice, <laughs> I did a video that was part of a, a series about your comfort zone. And now I made it with my perspective post-Sedona quote-unquote sweat lodge. And so that the dynamic there that has been a problematic dynamic for me my entire life is this like pushing and pushing myself, ignoring signs of whatever it is and pushing through it and pushing into discomfort, which if you're to make it really practical, if you're running a marathon or in my case, a half marathon, there's going to be times during the half marathon that it is going to be deeply uncomfortable. And the only way to finish the marathon, you've got some choices like push, you can walk, you can, you know, let go of having a personal best, like you're pretty much governing yourself. But the pressure is there. The achievement pressure is there. But you can literally always stop. If you stop, nobody's going to come along and make you or force you. They're going to encourage. But let's say you have a, a foot injury or a hip injury. You always have the power over everything in your own body to stop. That's quite different than my experience, say, in the, the sweat lodge with James Ray when there were all kinds of different barriers to leaving. Some designed in and psychological, some actually physical uh, concerns for safety based on what happened. Technically, could have always left. But was it problematic and potentially dangerous to leave? Yes. You know, it was this double bind that you get into. One of the things that I would love to explore with you is how that shows up in large group awareness training. Because I think that's mm -hmm. one of the, you, you know, so there's nothing physically, I don't think anyone's going to tackle you going out the door, but there's a lot of pressures in the environment to, to stay and buy in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and related to what you're saying, when you say technically you could leave, but there's a lot of ways which you're actually being coerced to stay that you don't realize through psychological pressure. And one of them that happened a lot in the large group awareness training, but also in this just business coaching community as a whole, was this kind of us-them thinking. It, it keeps the group very tightly bound because it keeps you feeling like you as a group are superior 
to outsiders and therefore you won't be swayed by outsiders. So like, for example, the business coach that we worked with was always saying things that separated people into two groups. Like, for example, there are people who are willing to commit and go the distance. And then there are people who are too scared or too stuck or who want to be victims. So there's always this kind of like parting of the seas between the good people who have what it takes and the victim losers or whatever. And that, that messaging is just constant. And same with in the room itself of this large group awareness training. Everybody wants to be identified as like the ones who have what it takes. So so from the get-go, it's set up. These are what the rules are. This is what successful people do. And so everyone wants to stick together with that. And then related to that, there is a lot of messaging constantly about this sort of be careful who you hang out with. Be careful who you let influence your mind. Don't hang out with anybody negative who's going to drag you down. And that's the other way too, that you get really bound together. Yes. And about what you said, Laura, about being able to leave. In my experience, one thing I have learned is that if you're in any sort of therapeutic relationship, say with a therapist, a teacher, a healer, a coach, that if you express a genuine desire to leave, now I'm not talking about you just started confronting something and all of a sudden you want to run out the door. That could be something. But if you express any desire, like, I don't feel like this is working, or I I feel like I want to stop now or anything like that. In a healthy, credible relationship, the person will honor that. They will talk to you in an encouraging way. They may even help you decide what's next for you or not if you don't want them to, but they will completely honor your autonomy and your desire to leave. Whereas in my experience with cultish groups or with an, a narcissistic healer, uh, counselor, they do the opposite. They give lip service to, they'll say, you're free to leave at any time. In fact, they love to say that because we all have in our minds that something can only be a cult if you're not free to leave. So in my experience, these groups and these leaders will continually say, you're always free to leave. But at the same time, they will deeply implant in you the idea that if you leave, terrible things are going to happen. You will lose your business. You will lose your relationship. You will lose your money. You will lose your friends. And so you end up not actually feeling like you have free choice. You end up feeling like your choice is stay here and somehow get through this pain in order to have what I want or leave and then bad things will happen. So this flip happens in your thinking where it feels more dangerous to leave than to stay. And in any sort of healthy environment that you're in for your own healing, uh, I believe you shouldn't feel scared about what would happen to you if you were to leave it. This brings to mind in the coaching and self-help world, the fine print of agreements where whether it's, then let me know if you're comfortable breaking this down with me or not, but because you, I think you have experience at both ends of the coaching world. One thing that I've always been deeply uncomfortable with is the minimum agreement period. I would have a month to month agreement where the time was committed a couple of times a month or biweekly and express that based on what I was seeing to see the results, I would expect that we work together for a minimum of six months but this is a month to month. If it's not working for either party, there's 30 days notice or a conversation to be had in order to sort it out. But it's out there. It's very common 
that you've signed on for a year, no matter what disruption goes on in your life or whatever your desire is, that you're going to end up paying for that time. So you might as well see it through, which keeps you in the funnel for the next sale at the end, instead of elegantly exiting when you express that initial desire. Was that, did that ever show up in your experience? Oh yeah, definitely. Everything you're saying. And I think the large, we've been in groups where, where that's been the case. And, and now in the work we do, we're much more like always deconstructing these practices and looking at, wait a minute, what is actually transparent? What gives people full agency? What is fair? And all of that. And always being willing to, even if we have an idea of how something should be to make exceptions and to listen and all of that. But I think the larger point you're bringing up is a lot of these kind of controlling practices, even if we wouldn't define something as say, cold or abuse per se, have just made their way into norms of this inter- industry. So everything from holding people yeah. to certain and kinds of long-term agreements to, yeah, all of it. Mm-hmm. One of the things that troubles me is how widespread a lot of these approaches and tactics have become in the coaching industry. And there are a lot of what we, we call and have heard called thought-stopping cliches. Things like people who invest are invested is a good one, or there are many others. But I think there are a lot of well-intentioned coaches and people in the field who have been taught that these practices, like having somebody commit to working with them for a year, it's just the way to do it and it's best for the client. And in reality, often people do these things, not even necessarily consciously, because they feel like they have to in order to have a successful business. Because obviously it's easier to have a business when you know that your clients are going to be with you for a year than when they have the freedom to walk away at any time. From a business perspective, that's scary. But at the same time, it's the healthiest for the client. So I believe that what is best for somebody's healing and somebody's growth should always take precedence over what's best uh, for business. And, and I think because some of these practices have become so common that there are a lot of people doing things that we could call like functionally cultic or functionally narcissistic, even though the people doing them are not bad people. They do not have bad intentions necessarily. There's a lot of people doing these practices. We've done some of them in our past because that's just what's out there in the industry, what you're taught to do. And that's problematic. Like in an ideal world, if I, and I've, I've thought about this a lot when I was considering what to do over the course of the past year. And I, I think you're pretty aware and listeners are aware, but I'll just say it just for any new listeners. Over the past year and a half, I came to the realization that I had experienced a lot more in the way of indoctrination than I realized. And it's not if that is not, I'll start to say, if that is not a fun experience because it means questioning everything, as I'm sure you know, and embracing critical thinking without being so hard on yourself for not seeing it because the, the, the very nature of indoctrination is that you are not seeing it. The strategies to do it are, they're not all big dramatic moves. It's like an erosion of better judgment in order to buy into something that that you really believe in have found one thing in common with people who are exploring this like yourselves and and others that i've met and i'm sure you've met as well it's like 
most of the people who are in this kind of recovery work are very genuine, kind, trustworthy people. And they trust because they're trustworthy. That's one of the, the biggest challenges for me is that expecting that everyone operates with the same values that I have and was brought up with and realizing that that not everything is ever at face value and that I need to be more discerning is a lovely word for it, but I think a more practical um, way of looking at it is to have a, a better tuned bullshit radar, right? Like just, so that being said, I wonder if you have any thoughts on this is the way it is within the coaching industry and the self-help industry. And from the point of view of someone who was coaching and looking at, okay, what's a healthier business model? If we compare it, say, to a therapist, I've never had an experience where I went to work for a therapist and they said, okay, you're here for 12 sessions or you're here for 24 sessions over the next 12 months. It doesn't work like that. You go for a session, you pay for a session. You go for a session, you pay for a session. Maybe in a slightly, maybe you pay, then you go, pay, then you go, but you're never upside down. What are some of your thoughts on redesigning it to, to not throw what's good about coaching away with all of the tactics? We would love to see coaching restored more to its original promise. What I'm saying now doesn't necessarily relate to the business model, but more just even the practice of coaching to be more about really holding space for people and helping them come to their own end, as opposed to this, like, here's the system that you follow and this, you know, power dynamic and all of that. But so, so it's, it's not like we think the whole thing should just be thrown out and there isn't a place for good support because it can be helpful for people if, they have a goal to help people break it down and take steps or help people have some insights and hold space for what they're discovering and, and, and getting clarity about. So I think it can be helpful. But there, the problem is that there's so much bad stuff right now in the whole you know, coaching world that you have to be really discerning. And from what we've seen, it's just it's not the norm for it to operate the way it was originally intended. Yeah. When I think back to when I first heard what coaching was in the 90s, when it was a new thing, I, I feel a sadness that it's gone the way it has. Because initially, coaching, when we talked about what a coach was primarily all about asking questions and helping someone come to their own answers. And the person came to coaching because they had something they wanted to have or achieve in their life. And the scope of coaching was pretty narrow. It was, okay, the client has the vision, they have the desire and the goal. And then you as the coach ask them questions to help them discover what they need to achieve it. And then you can help them create that in their life and to have the accountability. But it was very client-centered and, and client-led. And for a coach to start giving answers and saying, maybe you should look at it this way and start bringing up their belief system or healing something that was actually putting on another hat that wasn't coaching. That was being a consultant or maybe being a therapist, which coaches are not supposed to do unless they're trained in it. And now the lines have been so blurred. And a lot of what gets called coaching is this combination of various fields, consulting, counseling, and then also there's a lot of marketing. It would be really wonderful to see coaching get back to its original promise where it was all client-centered. 
in one way or another, I've been a part of that conversation and had people around me who have wanted that since 2009, which was about the time that I was getting into coaching. I first found out about it in 2008 and it fit as the, the next step to my consulting work and gave me other tools largely learning how to ask revealing questions that reveal the client to themselves. That's one of the main principles of coaching. But one of the problems is that, and you've touched on it, is that because it's not regulated, because it's not structured, anyone can call themselves a coach. So I could be a marketing coach. I could be a how to run a service department in a car dealership coach. I could be a photography coach. It's almost like whatever you put in front of the word coach tells us about what that person is proficient at or teaching and actual coaching. And you're reminding me, I wrote an article years and years ago about my annoyance with coaching being conflated with consulting. The feedback that I received was that some people really appreciated it and others wrote it off as just semantics. Here we are 12 years later, or maybe eight or nine years since writing that article. I really wanted people to understand because I saw a distinct difference in the work that I was doing as an actual consultant. And when it, it over and over it would happen, I'd be consulting in a business, which was best practices, how to do things, very prescriptive. I was considering turning it into a program to be able to dole out over the internet. But it was prescriptive because I was and arguably still am expert in that area versus you've got all the people in place, you've got all the processes, you've got all the tools and still this thing, it's not happening because you've reached some kind of a a limit within typically the leadership, which requires a different skill set and a different lane and a different hat. To me, that's the distinction. Yes, I love what you just said. And I think one reason so the lines have gotten so blurred is when coaching started, people were mostly doing it in person and it was developing as its own kind of field and undertaking. And then when people moved into the digital online world, coaching got so enmeshed with how do you make a living as a coach? that many of the trainings that are out there for coaches were not about learning the skill of coaching. It was more about how do you get online and build a big audience and make good money? One of the downsides of that is that if you are not clear really as a coach about what you're there to do or even what coaching is, then you're going to find yourself working with someone jumping in and out of different approaches where one moment you're asking a question and another moment you're giving advice and another moment you're maybe giving an assignment or something the person should do. And there's this term that's out there right now called trauma-informed. And because there are so many people who have had some sort of trauma, maybe they've been in cult or maybe they've had a bad experience with a therapist or maybe it's just trauma in their life. But the last thing that they need is to get into another relationship with somebody who's supposed to be helpful, that's going to inflict trauma. And if you are a coach who isn't clear about when you're coaching, when you're consulting, when you're giving other sorts of help, then invariably you're at some point likely to 
cross some boundary that the person that you're working with didn't really want. Like maybe you flip from asking questions to giving them advice. And that is not what they wanted at that point. And when you know the different roles and how to, what they are and how to move in and out of them, then you can actually ask the person you're working with, is it okay if I put on my consulting hat for a minute? I have an idea I'd like to share, or I, I have an idea for a technique that might be helpful with this nervous feeling you've been feeling. Is it okay if I, I tell you what it is? You can try it out. That creates a safe space for someone. If you don't do that, then you can, even with the best of intentions, inflict harm on, on someone. Yeah. And I just want to thank you for sharing that, Mark, just the, the, about being trauma-informed. And I just want to add to that, circling back to what we were talking about a little bit ago about it's gotten normalized in the coaching industry to say, I'm here to make you feel uncomfortable, or I'm not here to tell you what you want to hear, or you need to, to get uncomfortable, that that kind of provocation, I don't think that's healthy period. But especially if you've had trauma, that kind of provocation to be in a state where you're constantly being provoked and made to feel uncomfortable can be very re-traumatizing. And I think the bottom line is that a healthy relationship, including a healthy coaching or therapeutic relationship, is not about making someone feel uncomfortable. It, it's about actually creating a safe um, space. And I think that can even become a kind of shortcut where people learn to just say, I'm here to make you uh, uncomfortable, whatever. It's a shortcut if you don't actually have the training and the skills to do coaching with integrity um, to say that. And it's very dangerous because it can really give people a kind of get out of jail free card for abuse because you can just say that was that person's triggers. They couldn't handle it. It was their resistance. It was their mindset. All of that kind of stuff where you flip and project blame onto people. So that's what's really, I think, troubling about this whole shortcut of I'm here to make you feel uncomfortable, which is not what a healthy relationship or coaching should be. And Mark brought it into the conversation. I want to circle back around to it to pick it up and put it together with what you just said is that the permission-based conversation that is coaching, period, end of story. Yes. Mm -hmm. One of the things that used to really irk me and cause me concern, and I eventually became outspoken about it, was I would go to some local networking groups and inevitably it would break down into, okay, we're going to talk about our business challenges and our problems and then solve them together. Everybody in the room is intelligent and creative, but it became about, People telling people what they thought they should be doing without asking any questions about what's going on in your business. And it, would, it could sound like something as obvious as, well, you need to be on Instagram or you need to be here or you have to do this or you have to do that. First of all, you don't just get on Instagram for your business. <laughs> you can, but it's a massive undertaking. Like, where does that fit into the person's day? Is that even their best place to be? Because it's not a, a cure-all. And I'm just choosing one of the social media platforms. If you want to, I'm sure the most recent version of that is if you want a big audience, you have to be on TikTok. Or I can think of an instance, and this is so gross when this happens, like the whole bait and switch. I got on a Zoom conference several years back. I had started my podcast it was doing well and it was starting to spread. And I was looking at adding a tool, like changing my email software. And there was a consultant whose services were offered as part of something that I had attended. And I wanted to hear about what their product could do compared to maybe the three products of mine that it would replace. 
that, as far as I was concerned, was the purpose of the call. The next thing I know, I'm in a conversation that goes something like this. Oh, you've got a podcast. You really need to be doing video and you need to be doing this and you need to be doing that. And I was like, first of all, I didn't ask you what you thought I should be doing for my podcast. Secondly, at the time, video, the thought of video was completely overwhelming. Adding in something as massive as video and, and he wouldn't let it go. And I ended up ending the call and not engaging and staying away. I felt like my time was wasted because for some reason the bait and switch had happened and I wasn't sure what he was, what, or if he was going to try to sell me something else or if he was so passionate about podcasting. I never found out because I was like up against the wall and like you said, probably triggered from all of these other overwhelming experiences where too much has been rammed into me or onto me all at once. It's a rampant issue, I think, in our culture and getting more and more that way. I, I attribute a lot of it as well to social media and just the way we communicate in, in general now. It's almost like we're not in the, a lot of us in the habit of even having a conversation where there's back and forth and actual listening. It's, it, we're so in this mindset all the time now of just state your opinion and state what you think. And so often that's overstepping the bounds. And it would be nice if anybody who's going to be in any sort of helping role, coaching, counseling, anything like that, went through almost an, an unlearning, an unlearning of putting your opinions unquested on, onto other people and really, we learned how to listen for what the person is actually wanting and needing in the moment. We, we've talked about a lot of the dynamics and a lot of what we are hopeful can happen if more people speak on these issues and it gets taken seriously. Or the way that I think it's going to roll out is that consumers become more aware and end up driving the market or at least part of the market. In every unhealthy dynamic, I think there's a moment where you're in an unhealthy situation and may not listen to your instincts in that moment. Can you recall any instances to make this sort of practical and tangible without going somewhere that you're not comfortable going? Yeah, I think the beginning of me starting to see the abusive relationship with a counselor healer for what it was a couple of years before leaving where there was really this boundary crossed in terms of it being a dual relationship. I was a cookbook author at the time and the counselor healer proposed that we write a book together. And I was very concerned about this, that this could lead to all different kinds of, of problems and mix, you know, friendship with, with business, with our relationship. And I was just really concerned about everything that could go wrong. And my instinct was to say no. And I did actually say no initially. I said, I don't think this is a good idea. But the counselor exerted a lot of pressure on me in an emotional way, tapping into my emotions by saying, this is your chance to show me how grateful you are to me for everything I've done for you. This is part of your karma. Spiritual language was used. You're not very good at working with others. And this is a chance for you to overcome that, you know, tendency and that karma and learn how to collaborate. All of this kind of stuff, a chance to show your gratitude, all of it. And it really reached a point where I was so worn down that I felt I couldn't say no. And I think that is a moment that happens 
in many of these kinds of situations. It happened again to us in the business coaching community where you start to, to realize that just complying is going to be easier. You're going to feel more loved. You're going to feel safer. You're going to feel like you have more status in the group or in this case, in this relationship. And it would just be too hard and too painful to say no. And I tried to say no, but it just wears you down and wears you down and wears you down. So I didn't say no at that moment. And that really ended up being the, the beginning of the end. Long story short, I actually wrote this book. I spent a year of my life writing this book. And the counselor slash healer never did his part of it and just took my labor and work and passed it off as his own. And that was obviously an incredible betrayal and really painful. And it was also the impetus for me to say what happened was so wrong and for me to be able to get the courage. You point to it, that dynamic where the client is being monetized, where mm -hmm. you're in a professional relationship, you're paying for the service and yet somehow supposed to be showing additional gratitude above and beyond that. Absolutely. And this this is very common. I know that might seem like an ext more extreme specific example, but I want to also say what you're pointing to, that dynamic of going above and beyond through, sometimes it's called service in spiritual communities, but even in, in entrepreneur type communities, because the same dynamic played out in the business coaching community where you're expected to bring people in, other people into it as a sign of your generosity and to go above and beyond like you've experienced benefits and you're obligated to help others experience those benefits. And so here you are paying for a business coaching community and you're expected to act this way and bring other people in. If you don't, it's not even necessarily that it's about money. It, it, it can be, but it's about approval, being special in the leader's eyes and getting extra attention and belonging to the group. And so our desire for that kind of belonging and feeling like a good person is exploited to basically extract free work that just funnels to the top, to the leader. When you're supposed to be there building your own business, you're actually mm -hmm. having your time and energy sapped by building theirs. Mark, what about you? I have a number of examples where I felt something was off, but got worn down or convinced to go against that feeling. And a simple example is, which I now just cringe when I think about it, with the same counselor healer, my sister-in-law at the time, she's okay now, but she had a cancer diagnosis and was going to be having surgery and then chemotherapy. And this counselor healer, one of the things he did was work with herbs and alternative medicines. And so I, in a session, shared something emotional around this situation in my family. And then he said, you really owe it to her to talk to her and have her connect with me about herbs that can help with the whole experience of chemotherapy. And my first reaction was, are you kidding? That's just a terrible idea. But he was very persuasive that it would be a kind and loving thing for me to do this. And I would be withholding kindness and love and potential help if I didn't. And I didn't even have the kind of relationship with my sister-in-law where that would be just a, a normal thing to do. It'd be weird for me to call her up and talk to her about this out of the blue. But he just pulled at just the right emotional heartstrings that I almost felt like not only to get his love and approval and not to have to deal with the rage and disappointment that he would put forth if I didn't do this, but also 
that I would just be a better person if I did this. And so I did end up making that call and talking to her about it. And of course, she was dealing with this diagnosis and her head was in a million different places. She could barely take in what I said. And it was a dreadful conversation. And then later, the real medical professional said to her, don't do anything like that. That would be, that, that could really interfere with what you're, you're going through. So that's a, a simple example of a time when I had a strong reaction against doing something that this person suggested and did it anyway. And I've certainly had other experiences similar to that in the business coaching community where it was more about inviting people to an event or to a training that it didn't really feel right to invite them. But I did it because, again, two things. One was not dealing with what you have to deal with if you don't do it within the, the group. And two, being convinced that I was wrong. And that actually I was being selfish and to, to do what was being asked of me would actually be the better action to take. The manipulation in being told that you're selfish if you're not sharing the wisdom, like that you're actually doing harm by withholding is rampant. Like this, the, the knowledge, the special knowledge that is, and it's hard not to think of our situation with COVID-19 and all the alternative therapies that are being pushed. It's now just happening on the big, on the global scale of here's what science and the doctors say is going to be working. Here's what the numbers, the, the science, and this relatively influential minority of people who are approaching things from a belief that they are more conscious, but it's being leveraged for someone's gain that is inappropriate. One of the most blatant examples of what you're talking about is manipulating people's desire to be a good person and, and not be selfish and, and be generous for the gain of the leader was um, in the business coaching community that we were in, there was an annual contest every year around bringing friends to this coach's live event where she would enroll people into her very expensive business coaching mastermind. And it was all consuming. It was a three month contest where everyone in the community was expected to make a list of all their friends, family, associates, even their own clients and invite them to the coach's event. And it was heavily incentivized um, through cash prizes weekly, a grand prize of you know, lots of cash worth tens of thousands of dollars or other equivalent prizes. There was tons of peer pressure. It was positioned. And, and the irony was, is that even though it was incentivized through cash, the real prize, I think the real reason people were doing it was the ultimate prize was like the approval and the validation of this coach. And it was explicitly stated that generous people do this. People who are successful do this. And if you don't, you're not going to be successful and you're selfish. And so the pressure was relentless for everyone to participate in this in order to bring people uh, to this coach's event. There's a lot more um, education now about how multi-level marketing companies work, where they're based on recruitment and very few people make money and everyone's funneling money up the chain to the top. And so this kind of model around recruiting, it wasn't called recruiting, it's called it was called enrolling or it was positioned like a movement of being generous and spreading this message. But that's really uh, what it was. And that was one of the most blatant examples in the business coaching community of people being manipulated and boundaries being crossed for the benefit of the leader. 
Are there any topics that you would like to have a chance to articulate? One thing we could say a little bit more about is that I think a lot of people have an image of what a cult is based on this sort of traditional model of you go somewhere, you live somewhere different, you dress different, you're separated from your family, and you're just somehow separated from what culture at large considers a, a normal life, in quotes. And that now with online marketing, online groups, there's almost like a new kind of cult emerging, which can ensnare people who might be well aware of some of those classical markers of a cult, but don't realize that the same dynamics are going on underneath. And what's tricky about it is that instead of having some sort of explicitly spiritual purpose or being about renouncing things of this world, it's the opposite, that these cults are often all about success. And they look very mainstream because they're all about dressing well and looking good and having business success and making money and being popular and all uh, having impact and all these kind of things. And so in many ways, they can look the opposite of what we think of as a traditional cult, but they're still high control groups. They're still often run by somebody who's highly charismatic and persuasive. And the dynamics still end up really doing damage to a lot of people and people um, lose connection to their own authenticity and their own values eventually and feel like they have to be in this group and they put their time and their energy into it and feel that their safety lies within this group. So I think it's very important these days to know that these sort of culty dynamics are often hiding out in plain sight. And it may not look like this image you might have from the 80s or the 70s of what a cult was like, but it's still there and, it, and it's rampant. Thank you for that, Mark. You've explained it so well. Part of when I started to look at the trajectory of my experience with the self-help industry that started in 2007, and truthfully, it started years and years before with reading the books. I was reading the books and I was applying what I was learning in my own business. And going into my series of workshops, I had two explicit goals. One was to do a better job serving my clients through the recession, which is a goal that, that was met. But the other was to start on a path to wean off that type of work and ramp up my photography business and professional writing. And what happened, and this was heartbreaking to me earlier this year because I was writing, the pandemic shut me in with lots of photos and the desire to write came back. And I started looking at my journals and I was drawn into, in every way, the self-help organization that first started with James Ray. He was building his business and he was recruiting people to these roles. But I was all in. It was working for me. I, I did want to share. I think it all came from very authentic desire. However, the part that made it unhealthy for me was going back and realizing that the very thing that I went into the environment wanting to build became abandoned as I latched onto 
the culture and the cult of self-help. And that is part of why this podcast and I are going down this line of inquiry with everyone, because I want to see if that has happened to other people, but also if anyone listening can avoid the very real heartache of realizing that the best parts of themselves got left behind. I'm so glad that you're saying this. I it, Just as you were talking, I, I was feeling like I, I just, I could be saying this, I feel exactly the same way. And yes, it's the dynamics of these individual groups, but broadening it out to this culture of self-help and self-improvement. I also feel that so much of my life got hijacked by these kinds of magical beliefs, individualistic beliefs that was like a purpose that was not really my own or really what I wanted. And so much of this process of recovery has been recovering from the unhealthy dynamics, but it's also for me been like deconstructing these like magical beliefs or the concept of enlightenment or that you can be happy or at peace all the time and all these kinds of like aspirational goals that have never worked and really not only made me miserable, but ended up hijacking all of these creative pursuits and love of learning and meaningful connections with people, such a big part of our recovery, which has been so poignant because there is grief around what has been lost, but there's also joy around what can be found again has been this returning to our innate creativity and love of learning and love of healthy relationships and meaningful connection. Well, we're all now grinning ear to ear at the thought of that, (laughs) right? You just can't help it because it's what's, it's, this could be a difficult compass, but it's what's real and true and exciting. And at the time, I thought the other was real and true and exciting. And that is the part that is so difficult for people and even for me to understand. Um, I also wanted to throw in there and see um, if you agree. I think just by nature of the large group work, If there's not enough people serving the group, which there never is because it couldn't make the kind of money that it makes for the leader or the business, there's nobody there to ask you, is this what's right for you? What are your real interests? It's more casting the net and capitalizing on the altered state. If I could go back to myself as a very young person, I would love to say, don't transcend yourself, just be yourself. And, and I would love if, if, if we could just somehow alleviate people of the idea that there's this preordained path that somebody else knows that will help you to overcome yourself and that it's about overcoming something or changing a belief or changing a feeling or anything and accept all these various conflicting ideas, emotions, thoughts, and desires you have within yourself and be wildly creative and express yourself and enjoy it. And don't worry about some imagined state you wish you had. You already have it within you and just just fully be authentically who you are. After all of this experience that you've had, how do you differentiate between when it's time to figure something out for yourself and when to engage with a teacher or an expert? That is such a great question. One of the things I've learned from my experience is that I don't have a formula and I don't think there's one like, here's the five steps to knowing it's time to ask and when it isn't. One of the things that I have gotten clearer about is 
that often I would start out with a specific question like how to establish a business. But underneath that was some sort of emotional need. I, I have a fear I might not be able to establish a business or I might not be, I might not be good enough. I may, I'm just, and so when those two things get melded together, it makes me vulnerable to, first of all, being drawn to someone who not just actually knows more, but is all about positioning themselves as having authority. And then I'll ask a question and they'll answer another question and like a question about what I, that has something to do with feeling better or believing in myself more or something like that. And I guess I have gotten clear now that whenever I try anything new, whether it's a new creative undertaking, a new business uh, path or something, the same feelings will come up, the self-doubt, the not good enough, the fears of failure, the fears of success, all those things come up. And those are not feelings now that I experience as things that I need to make go away. Sometimes I wish they'd go away, but they won't go away. So when I experience those feelings, I know that I need to do things to soothe myself and to just hold myself gently. And there's that fear, there's that, and whatever it, 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 that, it, whether it's talking to myself, going for a walk in the woods, listening to music, there are many different things, but taking care of myself on that level then allows me to actually do a further inquiry and see, okay, so in addition to those feelings, is there a specific question I have? If I'm starting a business, is there a specific question I have about how to approach it? And who can I turn to most easily and uh, reputably get that question answered? And usually there are resources that are pretty readily available and they're maybe free or inexpensive. There are many resources, whether it's a book or local groups. There are many places you can go and things you can do to get specific questions and specific guidance. And it doesn't require a lot of money. It doesn't require a commitment. You're just literally getting your question answered. Thank you for that so much. Thank you. Because I think people who have spent time in the self-help and coaching world may have a barometer that is off and they're used to paying very high ticket for a very low amount of content. As a quick example, I've been exploring whether or not I want to do a master's degree. So I'm thinking, all right, I want to do a master's. What would that do for me, first of all, besides give me some letters to go after my name that might be useful at some point? But then I went on to the site for the actual program that I'm considering and looked up the tuition and almost fell off my chair because of how little it cost. That's backwards. So I want to put forward that actual education institutions might be a place where people can go to learn the things that they want to do that aren't part of an overpriced low content situation. Yes. 
I totally agree. Along those lines, one of the most gratifying things that we've been doing lately is taking art classes at this local art center. We've been taking drawing and we've been taking painting. And these are like relatively really inexpensive classes, but we're learning so much and just loving it. It's been very therapeutic as well. And I'm also like really interested in science. I love everything about like physics and biology and science. And I've started looking online and watch all these documentaries on biology and physics. And I started looking online of what's a class I could take just like in biology, like some just online course just to learn more because I think it's super interesting. And it's, it's really what I've noticed in myself is getting back into learning versus growing. And there's so much emphasis in self-help on always growing and the next level is, wait a minute, I don't want to grow. I just want to learn. <laughs> What? <laughs> learning for learning's sake? This is, this is part of the unraveling for me because for how long have I identified myself first and foremost as a high value for personal growth? I don't think that will ever entirely go away, but I'm questioning whether or not that is, that should be a primary. As someone who loves to teach and loves to learn, this is something that can be that treadmill and a vulnerability if it's in an environment that isn't healthy. And I think that might be one of, we can start to to wrap up uh, shortly, although we could do this forever. I'm enjoying your company so much, is that your desire for growth and desire for learning and desire and curiosity for new, those characteristics just make people, my favorite people to be around. There's nothing wrong with any of us for being that way. It's what, happens when it goes into an environment where the bar keeps getting moved and mm -hmm. the design of it and the intention of it is for profit before it's for what's best for you as a person. And that's where I think the focus of having these conversations to be a part of an education for this is what we have learned. So in speaking of it and not attaching any shame to it anymore, I would love if even just one person were able to course correct or see themselves in our stories and stay on their path and stay true to themselves and have stronger boundaries as a result, then there's a greater chance they won't ever have to figure out what the hell happened and where did I go. Yes, completely agree with what you said. If, if our conversation and conversations like these can help even one person to avoid some of these things from happening in their life, then, then that means everything. And I personally feel like more and more, to me, personal growth, it's like happiness. It's a personal growth is a byproduct of learning and living. And if you're somebody who's wants to grow and is sensitive, then you're going to learn from everything you do. And the, the nowadays of the growth I experience from just doing things that I enjoy, like taking this art classes or I took a storytelling class or so many things. I just find that I'm constantly growing and I don't have to make that my priority or my primary value because it just is, it just happens when you would fully and follow your own interests. 
Jenny, do you have any final thoughts before we, we bring it to a close? I just hope that if anyone listening ever has a feeling like they're in something that just doesn't feel quite right, or they're thinking about getting into something, but they have some reservations to really trust your own intuition and, and trust yourself to, to like check things out. It's okay to ask questions and check things out and all of that because these dynamics are so rampant today, even in mainstream society. They use different language. They take different interests. There's, there's spiritual cults, there's political cults, there's business coaching cults. And so rather than even getting totally hung up on is this a cult or isn't this a cult or because you can debate those terms or, or is this really bad or is there something good to, to really trust yourself to check in about how you feel. And if something feels off to you about something you're in or thinking about getting into, to really trust that feeling and feel free to really check it out and be cautious. Because like Mark said, if what happened to us can help somebody be able to see these signs and check things out for themselves, that's our hope. I love what you said there, Jenny. It takes a bit of the emphasis off of the C word and focuses on the dynamics that are unhealthy for us all. As we close this out, I would love to hear from each of you. First, a helpful resource that you have either read or listened to on this journey of recovering from cultic dynamics. And then once we hear about that, I would love to hear, love you to share where people can find you if they want to connect further and and some of the work that you're doing today. Jenny, a helpful resource. Yes. So one thing that's been a really helpful resource for me, especially during this time, during the pandemic, has been some really incredible, you know, podcasts that explore these issues. And there's this podcast. And we're also big fans of the Conspirituality podcast that we've been listening to almost since the beginning of the pandemic. And it has really helped us understand more about cult dynamics and also understand more about the kind of magical thinking and the beliefs that can happen that can keep people stuck in damaging situations. And that for us has been a big process because even after we stepped out of some of the situations, some of those kinds of beliefs around the self-help and all of that kind of persisted. And to be able to really look at that and dismantle that has been really important for us in the Conspirituality podcast has been really helpful. It's also been really helpful reading about cultic dynamics. There's so many great authors out there, but Yanya Lalich and her book, Take Back Your Life, has been enormously helpful. Mark, what about you? I know you've been in on some of these resources because that's how we met, but mm -hmm. what about you? Are there any other resources you'd like to add to the list? There Links are, for all of this will be in the show notes. <laughs> there are so many, but I what I want to mention is just the hashtag I got out movement, which connected us with so many great teachers and fellow uh, survivors. And it specifically, it led us to a class called Writing to Reckon, which is incredible. And you get these really thought-provoking prompts and then you write. And the, what comes out, both what I experienced coming from myself and then what I hear other people sharing has been really enlightening and, and healing as well. So I can't recommend that highly. And for this podcast, if you haven't listened to that, you can go back to episode 92, where I, I hosted Jarette Buglio and Lisa from igotout.org. And Jarette teaches that class. And I didn't mention in the close of that episode, I did that workshop recently. And, uh, and in 20 minutes, wrote an I Got Out stage statement and was blown away by the experience of that. So there's three 
here's three referrals saying this is a healthy and generative experience for people who are getting out of situations like the ones that we've experienced. So now what are you up to these days and where can people find you? Yeah, we like we've said, we are in a period of doing a lot of exploring our creativity and learning and just taking a little, you know, break from so much work. So that's been nice. But people can find us on our website at boldlyoriginal.com or on Instagram at jenny.ann.mark. Thank you so much for coming on, for sharing your stories, for being willing to answer some on-the-spot questions, to share some of the, the issues and the topics so um, eloquently and elegantly. But diving into the examples can be really challenging at times. And, and I just, I want to acknowledge that. And thank you for being open to this type of a conversation so that people can see a little bit of our glitches and our matrixes and learn and walk away feeling more empowered for your sharing here on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This has been great and so much fun and really enlightening. And thank you for this podcast and for everything you're doing to further this conversation. Thank you.